Come on. Yeah, let's get rowdy today. My boys are in the back, so when they get rowdy, everybody else get rowdy with Jesse. I like that. Um, yeah, Jesse, that's crazy. You were talking about Caleb and Joshua. That's literally what I'm preaching on today. I don't know if you knew that or not. Did you know that? I did not know that. Okay, that's crazy. Um, I'm just thinking about what my dad was sharing about the invitation today, and I feel the same sense, even the invitation into this let's go spirit of faith. Um, whether that's coming to Jesus for the first time, let's go, let's enter the kingdom, let's get our sins washed away, or it's the next step of submitting every part of our lives to him. So I feel really honored to be sharing today. Um, this is actually my last day in Manhattan for a while, probably. We're leaving like right after church and spending a couple days in Arkansas, and then I'm flying out to Asia after that. So I feel really honored today to have this opportunity. Um, this is kind of a message that has been brewing in my heart, um, honestly, over the last couple of years. And I shared a similar message once in Iowa, so some of my friends heard something similar. But I feel like God's been reshaping it and giving me more clarity to bring here today. So I'm just really excited to share. And it's kind of funny, like I'm thinking about what I'm preparing to do. I'm preparing to go. I'm preparing to say, let's go. Let's take on the nations. Let's, let's make disciples of all nations. Um, and I'm going to go on this trip that's pretty much indefinite. Um, but I'm reminded of, I think it was like five years ago, I was getting ready to go on another missions trip. But this time, I, I literally only went because my friend Aaron, who Aaron's also here today. Aaron, where are you sitting? There he, there he is, yeah. I only went because Aaron was going, and everybody's like, Kate, you should go, you should go. But I wasn't even fully submitted to the Lord at that point, so it was... It was horrible. <laughs> I was like, I was there overseas, and instead of let's go, let's make disciples, it's like, let's go home. Like, get me out of here as soon as possible. So to be standing here and to have that not be where my heart is at feels amazing because I just want to get after it. Um, so that title, Let's Go, that originally was suggested by my dad. Um, so I'll give him the credit for it. Um, yeah, so he said, you should say let's go, because apparently I say that a lot, so we can, we can go for it. Let me just pray, and we'll invite God. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Lord, I ask that um, you propel us onward in the mission that you've called us to today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak to each of our hearts. I feel like I'm totally unable to go super specific into what all of our needs are, but Holy Spirit, I believe that you can do that for us. So we invite you. We ask that um, this message would honor you and that your word would be declared with truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So starting out, I just want to read from 1 Corinthians 10, which it should be up on the screen. And there's going to be a lot of scripture today, so try to just stay focused and I'll read through it and just listen and soak in the word as, as, I'm, as I'm saying it. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. 
But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And then skipping to verse 11. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of symbolism here, and hopefully a lot of it is immediately familiar to you guys. And this is written by the Apostle Paul to New Testament church, who also would have been familiar with this imagery that he's bringing up. And he's going all the way back to the story of the Exodus, of when God led the Israelites out of the land of Egypt and into the promised land. Um, but even that story goes further back to a promise God made generations before to Abram, which is in Genesis 12. And in it, God says, go from your country, go from your people and from your father's household to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And then it keeps going and it says, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So the audience would, would have this in mind when they're, when they're hearing this um, from the Apostle Paul. They have this story, this narrative of God has the promised land that generations back he promised to his people. He's going to bring them into this promised land. And then in the Exodus, God was making good on his promise. So let's, let's look at some of the symbolism that it's talking about here. Um, first of all, it says, All our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. So this is referring back to, to the cloud which was with the, with the Israelites, with their nation, which is actually representative of the Holy Spirit. So the cloud was leading the Israelites into the areas that God wanted them to go. It says they all passed through the sea. This is referring to the Red Sea when they, when they went through the sea and the seas closed in on Pharaoh's forces and they were able to step into freedom. But it's making it much more... Um, much more to the audience when it says all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Because it's using this word baptism, which is a very New Testament concept, but it's saying all of our ancestors, our spiritual ancestors, this is actually what was happening when they were under the cloud in the wilderness and when they passed through the sea, is this was a baptism experience into Moses, who scripture tells us explicitly is actually a picture of Jesus. So what it's saying is, hey, this experience that our fathers had in the wilderness is the same experience that we have today as born-again Christians. We're baptized, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're baptized into new life in Jesus. It says they all ate the same spiritual food, they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So this is referring back to when, when God was providing manna in the wilderness for the people to eat, and he was giving them water from the rock, and it's saying that was actually Jesus. That was Christ, Messiah, there, who was providing for his people all the way back then. So this is the same experience that we have now in the family of God, is Jesus is our food. He is our, our everything, our sustenance that we need for life. But where it gets really, what should make us think and pause for a second is in verse 5, where it says, But with most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So he's building up, he's saying, these people who are in this story are us. This is us. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. I think that should make us 
sit for a little bit and think about, oh man, because I think there's a, there's a kind of common belief in America, at least, which is, okay, as soon as I believe in Jesus, my sins are washed away, therefore I'm good with God and I can stop there. But this is saying those people who actually had this born-again experience and entered into freedom from sin, from the land of Egypt, there was still more for them. God was not pleased with where they ended, actually, and there was more that he wanted to bring them into. Yeah, and then their bodies are scattered in the wilderness. These things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So, it's really making the point clear. These things happen to them for our benefit now. So, I pray that today we can get some benefit from their story. So, I want to just go back to this passage of where this story happens in the Old Testament, which is throughout a lot of Numbers and Exodus, um, but there's really one story where it all comes to a climax, so that's what I want to read from today, and that is in Numbers 13. And I think I've got, I've got a little map or something. Do you guys have that? Yeah, let's look at that. So this is just, I just made that map last, yesterday. Hopefully you guys can read it. Um, but this is some context coming into what we're about to read in Numbers 13. So coming into it, God has brought the Israelites out of the land of Egypt, up in the top left, where they're in slavery, they're in bondage, which in the New Testament, Paul makes it clear that that is an image of our slavery to sin. That's our old life. And then they pass through the Red Sea, through the baptism, like it's talking about in the other passage, and they go straight to Mount Sinai in the wilderness, which is where God is with his people, um, and he's revealing his glory to them, and he's giving them his law, and he's preparing them. He's giving them rules for their society, how to form their society, and giving them rules for, okay, when you go into the promised land, this is what you guys need to do. So then finally, God says, okay, you're ready. You're, it's time to leave Mount Sinai and go up to the promised land. Let's pull up that map one more time. So this is kind of the route that they take, this, that blue line. They go from Mount Sinai to this place called Kadesh, which weirdly is really similar to my name. Uh, and in some translations, it's literally spelled C-A-D-E-S. So just my name with an S on the end. So I just feel like, for me, this is kind of like a life-like story lesson that God is trying to teach me. Um, so this is the point that they're at coming into Numbers 13, is they get to Kadesh, the place right on the edge of the promised land. There's the promise here. God's brought them from Egypt, brought them to Mount Sinai. He's been with them. He's been teaching them. He's been leading them. They've been seeing his glory. And then finally, they're at the point where it's time to go into the land. So let's just read in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. Then skip into verse 17. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains, 
and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. So Moses sends out the 12 spies, which is, there's, there's one spy from each tribe in Israel, and each is a leader from each of those tribes. So they spend 40 days in the land, kind of scoping it out, getting their report. And they come back. And then now I'm going to read from verse 26. This is going to be a big chunk, so just keep with me. Um, verse 26. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land, which we have gone as the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So they scope out the land. They come back to Moses and to all the people with their report. And they say, this land is good. This land truly is flowing with milk and honey. This truly is the land that God has promised for us. They even recognize that, that this is the place that God has promised to us. And Caleb's response is, let's go. He literally says, let us go up and take it. We can overcome that land. Let's go. We got this. We can take them. They respond, we can't do it. They're stronger than us. Because there's literally giants there. Like, this is not figurative. There's, like, actual giants living there. And they see the giants, and they're like, they're stronger than us. We can't do it. So then that leads into the beginning of Numbers 14, which I'm going to read. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. So this is like, they come right on the edge of the promise. The report comes back to them. They're like, there's giants there. And the response of the entire nation is they lift up their voices and cry, and they spend the night weeping. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua and Caleb, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. 
So he's going back to God's promise from beforehand. He's quoting God's promise to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. I feel like it can be easy to read this story, and it's like, oh, it's so obvious. Like, everybody just needed more faith. They had to just go up into the land and take it. But we have to keep in mind that there are literally giants in this land. And so when the people are like, why has God brought us here to this place where our wives and our children are going to die? Like, that is the human, natural way of viewing the situation. But Joshua and Caleb have a heavenly perspective. They know that God's promise is good and that God will keep good on his promise. But it's, it's kind of another scary point is that all the congregation said to stone them with stones. So it's literally their entire nation turning against them. When God has promised something and they're like, let's go into the promise, the vast, vast majority of the people did not want part in it. And they actually wanted to kill the people who stood up for the promise. So these insights just try to relate them to New Testament, to our experience of following Jesus in the church, because this is what Paul did in 1 Corinthians 10. He's saying, use this example and learn from it. So even that idea of the majority not wanting to go into the promise, like I think that's written in Scripture because it's for us to be warned. So in verse 10, when they want to stone them, it says, the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of Medan before all the children of Israel. So in this place where there was opposition, God actually chose to reveal his glory in another level. So before the, the Shekinah, the glory, the divine presence, which was just between the, the cherubim in the inner place, in the holy place, in the tabernacle, God was like, I'm going to reveal my glory to all you guys as a witness against the rebellion that you're, that you're taking part in right now. So the next passage, um, verses 11 through 19, which I don't have on the screen, I'm just going to summarize. Basically, God responds in judgment against the unbelief of the people. He says, I've been amongst you. I've promised you this land. You've seen my signs. I literally took out all of the Egyptians, and I miraculously brought you out of the land. I've been leading you with my cloud, like you've seen my presence every day. Why are you rejecting me? And he responds in judgment. But Moses' response is to intercede for the people. And he stands on what God has revealed to him about God's mercy and his ability to um, bring, bring his plan about even through human disobedience and rebellion. And he asks God to forgive them. And then that leads into verse 20, and God forgives. He says, The Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have put me to the test now these ten times, and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers. 
nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. So a few things happen here. First, God responds to their rebellion with a promise again. He says, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. So it's pretty amazing. Even in human rebellion, God is choosing to expand his promise to the whole world. Um, this, I didn't read this in the scripture, but I think in, in the passage that I summarized, God said that those who did not listen to his voice, who rejected his plan, he was consigning them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So for the amount of time that they went to spy out the land, which was 40 days, he's saying, now that you've rejected my purpose for you, now you get to stay in the wilderness for 40 years. But the reason he does this is he says, you have not heeded my voice. So it becomes very personal. He's saying, this is my voice. This is me speaking to you guys and you haven't listened to me. It's like a child disobeying the voice of their parent. They've heard the voice. It's not like they're struggling to hear or to comprehend, but they've heard and they've, they've chosen to disobey. And the language it uses is they rejected him. So this is the point I want to make. It's really, really personal to the heart of God. This unbelief, this lack of faith to go into the promise, it hits God really personally. It says, you're rejecting my voice. You're rejecting me. And it strikes deep in God's heart. But Caleb is the one with a different spirit in him who has followed him fully. And God's promise is that he and his descendants will enter that promised land. So there's just a few points that I want to make now. Um, the first one is, on the way to the promise, God will lead you into places you don't like. On the way to the promise, God will lead you into places you don't like. So this is totally inevitable, actually. And it's not just this story, but we see this pattern in other places in Scripture. So if we, we think about Jesus' experience when actually he went through his Red Sea experience and his led-by-the-cloud experience, when John the Baptist baptized him, and then the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And then it says, the next thing it says is, the Spirit led him into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days. So this is the pattern. And if you, if you see this pattern and you read through the Old Testament, you'll see it time and time and time again. People experience freedom and new life, but the next thing that comes is the wilderness. But the wilderness is not a purposeless place. Remember, this is, try to remember this phrase. The wilderness is the training ground for faith. So it's not purposeless because in the place of the wilderness, you're forced to rely on God for every, all of your needs. So the, the Israelites are in the wilderness. They don't have water. They don't have food. So the only thing they can do is cry out to God for water and for food. And God shows up and, and they see his miraculous provision. So that's why the wilderness is the training ground for faith. Because in the place where you don't have everything, where you're, you feel dry, you're in the wilderness, you, you are longing for God at an even deeper level. 
And then the second part of this, um, the places that you don't like, first is the wilderness, second is war to take the promised land. So when you go into the promised land, it's not like it's just there already on a platter for you, actually. There's giants that live there. But God is saying, are you going to take it? Are you going to go up and take that land? So think about the story of David, another story with giants. And actually, giants in the Bible are symbolic of evil spiritual beings because even how giants came into the world, if you read Genesis 6, it's all about how these fallen angels came and had sex with human women and that led to the race of the giants. So the point is giants, when there are giants, these are things that are in direct opposition to the will of God. So God takes you to the wilderness, but the wilderness is the place of preparation to go into the land to defeat the giants. Um, so David, this is a guy who his own father left him in the field when he was told to bring out all his sons. So Jesse's like, Samuel tells Jesse, bring all your sons out. And Jesse like doesn't even think to call David there. It's basically saying you're not even my son. Um, and when it, when it was time for him to take out Goliath, none of his family believed him. Here again was the opposition to the faith opposition to coming into the promise of God. Because everybody else did not see it. They were looking at the situation with, with earthly eyes, with fleshly eyes. But David saw it with a heavenly perspective. And when Goliath did taunt him, what did he do? He ran straight at the guy. The, the taunt from the giant was actually provoked David to go and kill him. So it should be the same for us. When we, when we go into the land where the giants are, we see the giants, it should actually provoke us to say, no, this is an opposition to the will of God. I'm going to go and I'm going to take this land. Last week at my church in Iowa, um, my pastor was praying for me and he said something I thought kind of connects to this. He said, um, you're not being sent out as a sheep among wolves because there's a mighty roaring lion with you. So Jesus, when he sent out his disciples, he's like, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. And that is what's happening to us if we're going to go and we're going to fulfill God's purposes to make disciples of all nations and bring his kingdom. It's, there are, there are going to be real wolves that we come up against and real giants we come up against. But we're not helpless in that place. And in the place of the wilderness, we actually see that God provides for us. And we see, wow, there is a mighty roaring lion with me. And I'm going to go into this land of the wolves with the lion at my side. So this gets personal for me because two and a half years ago, I, I had a dream which hit me really randomly. It was probably like one of the most joyful times of my life. I was in Iowa with all my buddies and we're all just growing together and seeking God together and just having a lot of fun together. Um, so this dream kind of hit me out of nowhere. But... In my dream, I saw this desert, this barren land, essentially. And as I'm waking up, I hear the Holy Spirit speak to me the phrase, season of heavenly sorrow in a new land. But it didn't make sense to me because the t at the time when I had that dream, I was not in that place. I was not in the wilderness place. But it, it was God beginning to prepare me for the wilderness and to show me that that was the season I was going to be in next. So a few months later after that, 
my dad calls me up and tells me about my mom's stage four cancer diagnosis. And pretty quickly I'm like, oh wow, this is what God's been preparing us for already. Um, so that led to a year in the wilderness with our family seeking God and seeking more of the presence of God and God really showing up in our lives. But ultimately my mom died and that, that's our wilderness season. Um, but it, it hasn't stopped there for me either, actually. Like, it had, the wilderness, it's been really, really sad. It's been sorrowful, but it's been a heavenly sorrow because it's been purposeful. Because in the place of the wilderness, God has been showing us his love and his nearness to us and making good on his promises to us and preparing us to go into the battle, actually, into the next to the land of Canaan to take out the giants. So the next month, literally one month after my mom's death, that was when God called me to the nations and started speaking to me really clearly. And it became really clear to me that, that this was just part of the process for me, essentially, to, to get me towards the promised land that God wants to bring me to. The next point I want to make through disobedience and fear, we miss out on our portion of the promise. So this place at Kadesh, right on the edge of the promised land, this is where we stand now. But there's one question is that, are we going to be the people who go in and take the land? It's pretty, pretty scary that the entire generation died before seeing the promise. And actually, in, um, I think in Deuteronomy, it makes it clear that the journey from Mount Sinai to Kadesh only takes 11 days. So the point it's making is, you guys only had to be in the wilderness for 11 days, is what it's saying. So God was like, all right, you're ready. He's showing them what they need at Mount Sinai. Then he's like, you're ready. Go into the promised land. And it's an 11-day journey. But they end up being there for 40 days <laughs> because of their disobedience and fear. So I guess my question to you, or my, my challenge to you, because I think all of us have been through some sort of wilderness, and we might be in one now. The question is, is it purposeful or is it purposeless? And if it's purposeless, I hate to break it to you, but that's probably a you issue, not a God issue. <laughs> and if you feel you've been in that purposeless place in the wilderness for too long, it's likely because of your disobedience. It's likely that God's already been trying to speak to you and bring you into what he has for you, but out of your fear and your disobedience, you're rejecting the purpose of God for you, and you end up having to stay in the wilderness longer than was even part of the original plan. So I think that relates to even what my dad was saying about the invitation to come today to Jesus, and wherever we're at, if that's the first time or if that's us going deeper and just allowing God to search us and reveal the sin in our lives, like, I think that is the call today, really, is to, to allow the Holy Spirit to search us and to allow his voice to, to come into our place, if we're in the wilderness right now, to come into that place and show us what is the purpose here? What is it you have for me? What do you want from me? What is the land that I need to go take? So I pray that, that's, that the Holy Spirit is doing that right now in our midst. The next point I want to make, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. 
This is the promise. This is going to happen whether we're part of it or not. God makes good on his promises. Yeah, next point. He brings us, actually, let me see how it's set up there. The only way to the promise is by following his voice. He brings us into the promise through his voice. That's the only way to get there. It all comes from following his voice. It's not our own strategy that gets us to the promised land. It's not us trying to figure out on our own, like, what are the steps to get to this place that we want to get to. But actually, even the promise originally came from God. So if we're just trying to get to something that we want to get to, that's not even the promise. That's our own desire. That's not even conformed to God's desires. So in the story, um, in Numbers, when, when, they, when Moses tells the people that their punishment is going to be 40 years in the wilderness, the next thing they try to do is take up arms and go into the land, actually. They're like, oh no, I don't want to be in the wilderness for 40, 40 years. So they go out to battle, but Moses warns them. He says, God is not with you. Do not go into this battle. You're going to get slaughtered. Like, we need God with us. If his voice is not with us, we can do nothing in this battle. And they actually go out to battle and they get slaughtered. And it's actually a horrific day for the people of God. So this is what happens when we try to go take something without the backing of the Holy Spirit and without the voice of God actually being what brings us into this. It's us struggling and fighting to, to gain access in the world. But Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the world. So actually the way we, in, we inherit the world and we enter into the promise is by submission to God and through meekness and through only taking the things that he is giving us and not grasping after things on our own. So, last summer I had the privilege to spend some time in Asia to the area God has been speaking to me about and leading me and um, with the team that I'm now going to be joining up with. Um, and while I was there, one of my teammates had a dream. And in this dream, he saw a mother deer giving birth to a baby deer. But when the baby deer came out, the umbilical cord was wrapped around its neck. So my teammate in the dream, he's observing all this, and he knows, oh man, I need, I need to do something about this. I need to, this little baby deer, I need to do something to help it, to save its life. And he, he had the sense that um, the baby deer in this dream represented the specific people group that God has been leading our team towards, this unreached people group in Southeast Asia. And he knew, okay, this, this baby deer is this people group. But he was confused on the symbolism, on why is it a baby deer. So he even tried looking up, like, baby deer Bible symbolism. Um, but he couldn't find anything. Nothing came up. So he just told us about the dream. He's like, this is interesting. Um, but the next day, I was just in my time with the Lord, and I came across this passage in Psalm 29. I don't know if I put it on. Is it on the slides or not? No? Dang, I must have forgot it. But I'll just read it to you guys. In Psalm 29, verses 8 and 9, it says, The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. 
The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. So I was awestruck when I came across this verse because I'm realizing that this is the lesson God has for us. It says, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. So that, that wilderness right on the edge of the promised land. God is shaking us out of that place right on the edge to go into the promised land, to go after the promises of God. And actually, the voice of the Lord is already making the deer give birth. The voice of the Lord is already preparing something for us to step into. And so for me and my team, this was such a confirmation. Like, wow, God is here. We just need to go into this land and take it. And God is actually already birthing this already. So my, uh, some, one of my friends in Iowa, he described this place at Kadesh as um, the gates of greater promise. That's what he said. So this point that we stand at is the gate of greater promise. And it doesn't mean that we haven't experienced God before because we've already been through the Red Sea. We've already had the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. We have new life. We have forgiveness of sins. If we trust in Jesus... But there's a point that we reach of the greater promise, the gate of greater promise. So the question is, are we going to follow the voice of God into that place? Will we be like Caleb with the let's go spirit? And this is not something glamorous just for whatever, people who are called into ministry of some kind. This should be the norm for God's people which is why it's written in the Bible as this is an example for us, for all of us. It's not something special or some glamorous thing, but it's actually the call of God for all of us. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. So some people might feel like, oh, like the voice of the Lord is doing all this, but like, where is that in my life? Like how, where is the voice of God? Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And so what I want to tell you is God is actually already speaking. It's just a question of whether you're willing to align your heart to his voice and willing to follow him wherever, wherever he leads you. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your promises to us. Lord, thank you for your promise that through your church, all of your enemies will be made a footstool under your feet. So, Father, I ask that you help us to have a portion in that promise, that you help us to be people who actually bring about your purposes in the world. So, God, would you stir up just a discontentment when we are living in a place of unbelief, when we are not willing to go into the promise, and when we see the giants and instead of thinking about the glory that you could receive from us taking it down, we, we experience fear instead. So, Father, I pray that you lead us in faith, that you demolish fear, and that the city of Manhattan would know you. In Jesus' name, amen.